All right, welcome to the Teaching a Rockstar podcast. And on today's episode, we got my new bestie for the resty, Mike Aroni. He's up in Boston. This guy owns the Boston Scally Company. Now, we are going to get into why he's on and how I found this cat in, in, in just a minute when he comes on the conversation. But, but he is the perfect example of what I'm constantly talking to teachers about. And that is, man, no longer is this a world and an economy and a society in which, you know, we, we send kids to college and they get a degree and they go work for a company for 48 years until they retire. This is a whole different world. And he is a perfect example of someone who truly has a passion uh, for something. He's doing something really unique and it's, it's true to his, his heritage and where he's from and his family. And it seems like he's got the whole family along for the ride and his community. And it's, it's a great story. We're going to get into it. Here we go. Teaching a Rockstar podcast with Mike Aroni. The Boston Scally Company. Let's do this. All right, dude, I'm going to tell you a story. You ready for story time? Let's do it. All right, man, so check this out. So a couple years ago, I'm in, the, uh, I'm, in, I'm in a coffee shop here in Houston. Like a cool one, not like a Starbucks, but like, a, well, like I'm, not, I'm like certainly not cool enough to be in the particular one I'm in, but I'm in there taking up space. And, and the dude behind the bar, the, the coffee barista, whatever you call him, he's like one of those dudes with a long beard, and he's got sure. the groomed hair, the whole bit. You know that guy. And, um, and he's got this cap on. And as soon as I see this cap, I start thinking about my childhood. Now, I, I live in Houston, Texas now, but I grew up in New Jersey. And um, I start thinking, I, rem- I see that freaking hat, and I remember um, at, at Nardi's Deli, the guy that would make hoagies, he was this older dude. He always wore the undershirt, real tight. He had, like, big muscle arms and everything, and he had this crazy over-the-top attitude, and he had that cap on. And, like, you would come in. He'd make fun of your mom, and, you know, the, he was, he was, he was like, like a national treasure, man. This dude was amazing. And then another dude, the butcher in our little town we lived in in New Jersey and South Jersey, he had the same hat. And I see this dude wearing this cap. Uh, you know, behind the, I'm like, oh my, like my whole childhood comes to me, right? And yeah. I'm like, dude, where did you get that? And um, he doesn't, he said he, he got it as a gift. So, so you know, I'm, I'm in the, the coffee shop, I'm Googling, I'm on the Amazon, I start buying hats. I'm telling you, brother, I probably spent 200 bucks buying caps, and every one of them sucked, like all of them. And, um, I mean, first of all, I, I, I don't know what size head these people have that are making it fit my noggin. And, and, and they're all twisted and they're bent. And I'm, I, I, pro- I don't even know, man. I bought, I probably have I don't, 12. And, um, and then, and then, uh, what, a year, a, a year and a half, two years later, I'm like last week, finally on my Facebook comes up your ad. And I see that. I'm like, Holy shit, that's the hat. That's the cap right there. And that's then it. it took me a few days to figure out which one because they're all badass and I can't decide. And then I get it in the mail, and these things are ridiculous, dude. They're perfect. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because we hear a lot of stories like that where it's like, you know, growing up, they love these kind of caps, but they could never find the one that actually fit them how they wanted it to fit, right? And that was my story as a kid. So growing up, I would steal my dad's, right? And he had the old school floppy ones. They look like pancakes on your freaking head. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I love these and I love these because they were his, right? And they, and it meant something. So it meant something to me. And as I got older, I would buy some of the other brands that are out there. And what I found that I was doing to get the fit that I wanted, I used to actually take a safety pin 
and snip it in the back of the hat so that it would pull a little bit tighter, feel a little bit more snug on my head, be a little bit more form fitted. Uh, and it wasn't until years later, I'm like, dude, why don't I just design my own, you know? And the thing is, is scally caps are such a huge part of the Boston culture, right? Yeah. And that's why we're the only ones that actually call them a scally cap. Most people call them, you know, maybe you call them a flat cap or an right. Ivy cap or a Gatsby cap. Newsboy uh, or something like that. Exactly. So uh, we call them scally caps. And uh, I'm like, why is there no Boston scally out there? We call them that, but there is no actual official one. So that's kind of when we started it up. And, you know, like you said, um, we needed to make sure that this focused around you know, the culture of Boston, right? But I think a lot of people share that culture, right? So it's not just Boston. It's it's people that grew up that same way, right? Humble beginnings, blue collar, working class. It's about your family. It's about your friends. It's about loyalty. Uh, those are the things that are important to us, right? So when we started a brand, I said, I, I want to see a brand. I want to start a brand that um, really focuses on what people care about, right? It's it. I don't want to make this about just, you know, sale, sale, purchase, purchase, buy, buy. And it's all about the dollars. I want it to mean something, right? And and that was really important. So I'm glad that you pick up on that uh, because that's really what it means, you know? Dude, you like it's like being part of an attitude, really. You know, and it's um, there's a, some vibe about your brand that you've been able to put together. I mean, the, the whole look of the site is cool. The marketing is cool. The videos are some of the best I've seen in terms of being consistent with brand. And um, but it's this thing of like hard work passion like this um yeah man like a little rough around the edges but still full of compassion and loving and and having a little fun and having a big attitude along the way i mean the whole thing is is does the design and um the cons- you know what it is man it's like brand consistency yeah where nothing that comes across deviates from what you guys do right absolutely and that's that's the uh that's the name of the game because for us this is real life right this is how we live all the guys in the ads it's me it's my meathead friends that I grew up with that I've known since I was five years old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, and we've been all over the place, right? Guys have moved, guys have come back, whatever it is. But I, I pull us together and we do these video shoots, these photo shoots. Um, you know, one you'll appreciate it's coming soon. We're doing, uh, we're doing a cap and I was actually able to get into my old high school last week. And I had one of my old teachers, one of my old coaches, and we shot it in his room and I put him in the video and you know, it meant a lot. And I'm in the old hallways that I hadn't been in since since I graduated high school. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was very nostalgic. But I wanted to tie it all back to that. You know, sure, we could have done it at another school. We could have done it in another classroom. I was like, but I need to make sure we bring this back all the yeah. time. It needs to come full circle always. Man, you know what's interesting about the Boston, the, the whole crew up there is, um, and I don't know if this is true, man. I mean, I might be totally making this up, but it's just my experience. And that here's the difference between those towns in and around outside of Boston is um, compared to where I grew up in New Jersey. Like the, when, when, where, where I grew up in South Jersey, the whole goal in life is to get to Florida. Like at some point, <laughs> you got to move to Florida. But what's interesting about those towns in Boston, it seems like people grow up there and they either stay there, they move away but they all come back always, man. And I think that I, I love that you picked up on that. Um, what it is, the communities about, if you ever talk to somebody that grew up within a 30 mile radius of Boston and you ask them where they're from, they'll say Boston, right? It's a little bit different than somewhere else where, you know, there's, you know, there's New York, you know, if you grew up 30 minutes outside of New York city in Westchester County, you don't say you're from New York city, right? right. Where in, in Boston, you do that because the communities are very tight knit. They're almost, 
Uh, they're almost intertwined. But I think it's the way a lot of us grew up. I think because most of us grew up very similar. You know, it was based around family. It was based around sports. It was, uh, it was, it was based around a lot of that where a lot of this was built into the fabric of who we were. Um, and there's something about it. Um, you know, you pick up on like the rough and tough aspect of it. And, you know, I talk about that in the brand. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very rugged, sarcastic, witty, ball busting community, but it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's something where it's, uh, it is so much passion built into it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that, that we kind of take pride in. Here's here's my uh, I've I've been up there uh, a few times to visit and growing up was there a couple times and twice I was there to speak and to do uh, teacher conferences and here's the difference between the, like a Midwest or even Southern groups is like they're um, in the South and the middle they're they're completely open and ready sure. but up there man they're leaning back in the chair they got the arms crossed you know. You know, get, you know, like a little suspicious. They're not buying in, right? You got to earn it, man. And it, man, I'm like, I'm sweating and I'm giving all in. And by the first break, my, my first break is typically like an hour and a half, hour 45 in. And there's a, there's a couple ladies sitting in the front row. And they got their arms crossed, leaning back, just staring at me, like expressionless. And then I talk to them at the break. And, um, and the, the first thing this lady says to me, she goes, tell me about your mother. <laughs> I'm like, what? She's good, and and like she wants to know, like, and then like we get to know about my tell oh, about my great. mom, yeah, and then all of a sudden now, now like now, now we're like best friends and we're hugging each other. It's crazy. What it is, what it is too, and and it's different, right? The the Northeast as a whole, right? You know, and you being in Jersey has some type of stigma. I think in Boston, I've always said the best way to describe it is I describe down to earth, very transparent, very open, very honest. Um, but also very suspect. They can see right through the bullshit. Yeah. Um, you can't get away with anything. And I think that's where a lot of that wit, that sarcasm comes in. Um, you know, if one of my friends is, you know, elaborating on a story or exaggerating something, it's like, we call it out immediately. You can't get away with anything. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, they'll take you in as one of, the, one of your own almost immediately. You know, yeah. everybody, everybody's literally like family there. You know, I remember, I can't remember which one of those Boston dudes, it was uh, Matt Damon or his or the other guy, I can't remember, but they were asking him how they stay so grounded. And he says, because I go back to Boston and when if I say something stupid, my friends will slap me. That's why. Oh, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they don't care who you are. You can, yeah. you can never get, uh, you can never get away from it. It's like, no matter how big you get, you know, how much money you make, whatever it is, uh, you're always that kid from Boston to everybody else, which is the best part about it. It's like, you, you go back and you immediately go back to you know, whether it's childhood or, or how you were kind of brought up. I think that's why we kind of, we stay so grounded to it. And that's why I always feel so close to it. Yeah. All right. Now here's the last thing I'm going to say about it. And then I'm moving on. Check this out. This is what my other cool um, takeaway from being up there is up there, man. Like in most parts of the country, there's like this hierarchy, like a totem pole of this guy's in finance and this guy's a doctor and this guy, you know, is, you know, a plumber, this guy, I mean, and, the, and to, to the, in other places, there's like this vertical totem pole of professions. But what I realized, a lot of places up there in the new, it doesn't matter, man. You could be the mayor or you could ride the back of the garbage truck or your, your teacher or the attorney. It doesn't matter. Like we're all on the same level playing field. That's it, man. Absolutely. Are you from Boston, dude? Jesus. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, down, man. <laughs> no, I'm just observed, man. I love watching That's people, it. man. And uh, all right, man, let's get it. Here's, here's a cool thing. So dude, you have this sure. idea and you're sitting, here's what I love. 
you're one of those rare people that actually get up and do something. Like I always say, everybody has great ideas, but very yeah. few people actually get up and make it happen. So when you came up with this idea, what was the first step? Did, was it like a phone call? Were you sketching out designs? Were you, were you researching on Google who's making hats and how do I get a design in there? Yeah, you know, that's part of it, right? It, it, but the, the biggest thing I think was the idea was just the fit, right? And, you know, I, I grew up wearing these caps, like I was saying, and I used to pin them back. So I, I drew up sketches and kind of designed these how, how I wanted to see them and, and then kind of just looked, uh, you know, what else was out there. Um, and then I decided after wearing my own uh, prototype and people asking me where I got it, I'm like, let's, let's rock and roll, man. Let's, let's, let's do this. Um, yeah. And I've never been afraid to to put myself out there. I think again that goes back to the way I grew up. And I always say uh, I grew up. And you probably hear this a lot. I grew up, you know, immigrant mentality, right? My mother came over here when she was twenty two years old from Italy, and uh, you know, literally grew up on a farm and um, no money. You talk about poor here and poor there. I mean, poor there is. I mean, you talk about running water, non existent, right? So when you come over here and all of a sudden you have a shower that can run daily, uh, that was a luxury to her. So we kind of grew up under a household like that where it was, it was me, it was my two older brothers. Uh, and my father was a, uh, type a maniac. Uh, he was a school teacher in the system for 35 years. So I I grew, I grew up under an educator, man. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, they kind of inspired me to, you know, always kind of find what, you know, what made me tick, right. Um, you know, what, what makes you tick out there and do it. But, um, whatever you do, don't ever be afraid to put yourself out there. So I think that was a big part of this for me was saying, Hey, I'm not afraid to go do this. Let's, let's rock and roll, whether it fails or whether it does well, uh, I'm going to go for it all out. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it's that personality that, you know, for some re- people it's so painful to take a risk, but for, for me, man, like it's way more painful to experience regret. hundred percent. You know, I'd much rather take a risk and fail. And I think that's that's one of the things we, um, you know, in school, we, we kind of brainwash out of kids because in school, man, it's all about don't mess up. Don't make a mistake rather right. than, hell, I don't know, go take a risk and see what happens. And failing in your world and my world is a great thing because we're one step closer and we don't, and now we know what doesn't work or what we need to work on. But in school, failing is like, it's, I mean, it's, it's a life changing, horrific event. It's, it, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you bring that up and it makes me happy what, what you do and how you do it as an educator. And I can appreciate that and respect that. Like I said, um, you know, I, I saw my father do that for, for many years and I've always been a big believer in fail often, fail fast. Um, don't be afraid to try things, right? Don't always have, don't try to do things right the first time, right? Um, you know, I think there are, there's a time and a place to do things right the, the first time, but I think in most instances, I think kids need to learn how to fail. I think they need to know that it's a good thing, uh, to fail because you learn from, from failure, right? Uh, you, you learn that from there, there's only, there's only up or you learn what you did wrong. Now, you know, what you got to go and do right. Uh, so I think you can execute more efficiently if you fail and fail fast. Yeah, man. And like, you know, here it is, man. Also having a great teacher or even as you move on, man, having a great mentor in your life where they can help you find the distinction between persistence, grit, that whole side of it, and then failing fast. Because a lot of times, you know, I I find schools, I'll use a school example, but also the same for people. I find schools where things aren't working. So they do more of it and do harder and they do it louder and they keep, and they, I'm, Hey man, it doesn't work. It's still in a, it's still zero. What it does. You do it 10 times as much. It's still going to be zero. 
you know, where there's that side of it where get out, do something different rather than the same thing, more of it. But then I think that's the key to having a great teacher and a great mentor where they can help you find that distinction between, yeah, man, you, you were persistent. You didn't give up. That's awesome. And it still doesn't work. Let's move on. I agree with you. And I think the key word there is mentor, right? And, th and that's one thing I always say is I think everybody needs a mentor. Um, and it doesn't have to be one. Um, you know, I know I had coaches in sports uh, that, that are mentors. Until this day, I still talk to them. Um, I have teachers that are mentors. I have people uh, through past jobs and occupations that have been mentors to me that I still reach out to to get advice and to gain knowledge from. Uh, and, you know, and, and you bring up school and how, you know, they, they'll say, let's do it harder. Or let's, you know, if it's not working the first time around, I think for me, and I, I talked to my, to my father about this often as a kid that, um, school wasn't for me. I wasn't, I wasn't dumb. I was a pretty bright kid. Uh, I did well, but I was very bored. Yeah. Um, and I found that, you know, the teachers that challenged me in a different way that understood, Hey, this kid learns a different way. Right. Um, I had ADD pretty bad. And they learn how to channel that and they learn that, you know, there are things that this kid likes to do creatively where he excels and the teachers that were able to do that. Um, I did exceptionally well in marketing classes, um, business oriented classes, things that I was interested in. I was able to dive into and go all out in, um, opposed to where I had to sit and, you know, memorize a math equation or a topic in history. I had a tough time, man. And, and I got bored very, very easily. Yeah, man. That, you know, here's what I always say, like those kids, that are really great at school and which means oftentimes what that means is they can they're visual and they can they can concentrate on one little thing for a long time and they can memorize it temporarily so they can get it back sure. and answer the test on Friday you know for for that kid those make great oftentimes they make great employees well we need some great employers and yeah. Man, like that's a whole different personality. And I try to help teachers see when, when they complain about a kid, I say, wait a minute, let's make a distinction. All those qualities you just described to me are amazing qualities to have in an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and I, you know, for a while there, I was in this group uh, called EO. It's, a, it's an entrepreneur's group. And, and we would hang out. There'd be hundred you know, men and women in there. You talk about a bunch of animals. Like these, these are not, <laughs> these are not school-based people. Yeah. But they have those qualities, and they all have a story about somebody, yeah. you know, so about a teacher trying to felt like they're felt like they're being stifled of that quality of whether just being curious and questioning, and um, and wanting to you know in you know have an intake of a ton of different information rather than just one streamlined topic. It's fascinating, man. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I think back to. Uh, when I was in high school and I remember selling t-shirts out of the back of my car and, and I, I remember getting in trouble for it at the time. And I, and I remember thinking I walked away with, you know, 300 bucks in net profit and I'm doing the math and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm on my way. And I remember getting in trouble at school for it. And, and I think back to that pretty often. And, and I think, you know, that's something that they should have encouraged then. And, and I feel like schools are doing that now. Uh, I really do. I think, um, I think education in the curriculum is changing. Um, in, in a way where they're supporting things like that and supporting entrepreneurship. Um, and I think that's why by the time I got to college, um, I did a lot better in school because I was able to focus on topics that intrigued me um, or that supported the way that I thought or things that I actually wanted to do. 
Yeah. You know, I think, you know what it is, man? Um, you're right, dude. Schools are changing and it's a beautiful thing to see. And I think a lot has to do with social media where now educators sure. can finally share what's going on and what's, what's working and what's doing great in schools around the country. And in addition to that, there's like real life evidence. Like back then when we were in high school, there wasn't a lot of evidence that this would work, but now people can see thousands of kids online that, that Hey man, this kid really is doing a great job playing video games. And this YouTuber kid, you know, who talks about, you know, it's just unbelievable what you know, the possibility that are out there. And what I'm wondering, man, when you were in school, because you had a dad who was an educator, he sounds like he was, wasn't exactly that traditional educator. He's more no. um, open-minded and is that right? That's right, man. So my, uh, my dad got the, uh, and he start, uh, taught in a different school system, a town over from me, uh, where, where we grew up. But, uh, yeah, my dad w would like to say uh, he got all the, quote, unquote, the, the problem kids, the, yeah. the kids that got in trouble. And um, he knew how to deal with them because, you know what, he came from the same, he came from the same place and he related with these kids. Uh, so he's able to bring these kids in that, you know, maybe they weren't up to the, you know, same um, – education level as the others but i think my father found in them uh that they actually were but they learned a different way uh, and he was able to get through to them and i think the biggest thing was they respected him so much uh, that they wanted to do well for him so he was able to break through and he taught every kid differently you know and, and he was able to uh maybe bring something out of them that other teachers couldn't um or maybe the the system couldn't do so he he specialized in that he was english and reading uh, but over time we, we found that you know they uh they would pass most of those most of those kids in his classroom, and he would do amazing things with them. Yeah, give him to that guy; he can handle him. That's it, man. That guy with the cap, put him in his That's, class. <laughs> they loved it, man. He was uh, he was a badass dude. He um, he didn't take shit, but at the same time, they loved him. The yeah. kid, they loved him, and you know, we would have there were students coming over the house Thanksgiving, pumpkin picking, everything. I mean, we knew all the kids in my dad's class growing up. Uh, he opened the door to them like family. And it was one of those things where it was just such a mutual respect that um, nobody ever gave him a hard time because, uh, you know, I, th I think they had that, 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 uh, that relationship. That's what it's all about, brother. You know, I, uh, for, for those, here's, here's the truth, man. For, for those kids who do really well in school, they already have that relationship at home and with their friends sure. and in their scouts and in their church and all that stuff. But for a lot of those most challenging personalities in school, it's, it's all about creating that relationship with those kids. You know what? I always tell people, man, it's super easy to skip a class. That's easy. It's easy to quit school. But man, it is it is incredibly difficult to quit a relationship, to yeah. to skip a relationship. Man, you, you just can't do that. And thank God those kids had your pops, man. I love that, man. That's uh that's a great perspective. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, like you know it. Like I'm I guarantee your dad had kids that would would skip every class except for his, for sure. Like I know that. Oh, happened. absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And so when, when you, when you're coming, like you, you were in high school and you're doing your thing and you're just getting by, just like, tell me what I got to get to get out of here. All right. You know, yeah. So, you know, for me, man, it was, like I said, I was, I was really bored. I, di I didn't love school. I gotta, I gotta be completely honest. I mean, for me, it felt like, I remember even as a little kid when I started, uh, you know, when I was in kindergarten and going through elementary school and I remember I knew what was happening. I knew that man, I got a lot of years left of this. I got this many hours in the day. And yeah. I was staring, I was staring at the clock. Uh, by the time I got to high school, 
you know, a, a, obviously a big part of my life is my friends and in sports. Um, so those things kept me intrigued, but yeah, man, I remember just kind of being in school and saying, you know, I want to get through and, you know, I didn't want to let my parents down. So I did try really hard. Um, and I did okay. And I, and I went to college. Um, you know, luckily I, I wrestled in, uh, in high school and I was able to get some scholarship going into college. And, uh, I think I, I grew up a little bit by the time I got to college, I really matured and, and I, and I wound up doing, you know, I did 10 times better in college than I, than I did in high school, because I think I really saw the benefit of, um, of education, um, and what the greater, what the greater goal was beyond that. What did you wrestle? What way in high school? So I was in, in high school, right? Yeah. Uh, I was 112 for two years. The weight mm -hmm. classes have changed now, but I was 112 for two years. I was 119. Then I was 125 in college. My first three years, I was 125. And then I was 133 my senior year. And I was cutting from my last two years of college. I was cutting from about 160 pounds. Uh, it was a brutal cut and, uh, it's tough, man. Yeah, man, you burned some brain cells along that cut. Oh, sure. dude, I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we uh, wrestling just now got big. I wrestled in New Jersey and then moved to Texas. Yep. And they, I was trying to explain wrestling. Like, what? You do what with another boy? And so they weren't down with any of that. But, um, you know, finally, um, it's, it's starting to grow down here. And yeah. um, I try to tell parents, man, it is the most, like, you want to build some character? It is the most humbling sport on the planet. And one you'll think about for the rest of your life. But, you know, getting pinned by another kid the same way. There's no ball. There's no team. There's nobody to blame it on but you. It changes who you are. It, you're 100% right. And so let's put this in perspective, right? I started wrestling. I was about uh, eight years old. And I remember my first match. I got my ass kicked. Yep. I lost 13 to 2. I got smoked. And at that very moment in my life at eight years old, I learned accountability. And I have friends that are in their thirties now that still don't know what accountability means. I know people that, you know, they do something and they want to blame everybody else at eight years old. I realized that second on the mat, I couldn't blame a damn person. Right. It was my fault that I lost. You know, I needed to, I need, maybe I needed to work harder. I needed to, I needed to learn more. I needed to gain some knowledge. Um, and it, and it gave me a, and it gave me a stretch goal of, okay, you know, here, here's where I am now. I got to fill it in with hard work and, and, and knowledge. And here's where I can get to later on. So, uh, for me, I found that to be the most important trait that till this day, I tell people all the time, I'm like, it's relationships and accountability. Uh, I think those are the, one of the two most important things in anything you can possibly do. Yeah. You know, I think every, um, I don't know about every wrestler, but most of wrestlers I know, you know, I, for me, it was a sixth grade and, um, the first match, I still I can hear the the coach of the other kid yelling at the kid, "Let him up, take him down again. We're gonna <laughs> practice with this guy." And oh my god! So the the kid would let me up and to, just to take me down again. And there's yeah, nothing man. I could. There, there's no way. And just feeling at that age what it's like to be manhandled. Like you, there's nothing you can do about it because you don't have the skills yet. You don't have the strength. You don't have the the stamina, the cardio, the skill. Nothing. And it does put life into perspective, man. And and here's what I say, um, especially for your, um, I, I'm sure I don't know if it's uh, politically correct, but I just know this is true for for boys and young men and even older men. That thing you need something in your life. You need some sort of physical struggle. Like that. That's part of the DNA. 
You know, and even like when I, f- I find men, I mean, they're so, like in those entrepreneurs, super successful dudes professionally, but there's something in their life missing. It's because they don't, they don't have a physical, they don't train heavy in the gym. They, well, they don't even know where the gym is. They don't go, they don't sweat, they don't get out of breath. You know, they don't have that feeling in your stomach on leg day when you're really questioning, should I be doing this? <laughs> is this even yeah. healthy? Am I going to die? Like there, there has to be part, something in your life like that to feel complete. I agree with you, and I think that's why wrestling was such a uh, such a big aspect of my life, and I, I owe a lot to that sport. Um, and I think back to, you know, I grew up and I did manual labor through high school, through college. Um, I did jobs that absolutely sucked. And I remember, you know, at the end of summer, I'd be working construction, and we'd be getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'd be getting home, and I'm like, man, I'm like, this is not what I want to do. Uh, this is very hard, right? But stuck in, I did it. And I look back and I'm like, you know, being able to look back at some of the things that you did and to say that, you know, I have done that, you know, I, I have been through this shit. Um, you know, you didn't just all of a sudden, you know, go through high school and college, no jobs. And then all of a sudden you're getting your first job out of college. No way. I started work when I was 13 years old. I used to take my bike to Dunkin' Donuts and that was my first job. I was 13 and a half years old. Didn't even have the papers right. and, I, and I'm taking my bike to work. Then I was working at the gym. I was doing landscape and always trying to find a way to make a buck. Um, and that was something that my parents always pushed on me. And, you know, my two older brothers are all, also very inspirational for me. I always say my brothers raised me, right? I never I never wanted to have my brothers look at me and, and ever be ashamed or disappointed in anything I did. So I saw them working hard. And that meant that I had to do the same thing, too. So um, I, I think it's – that's why I always think you got to have a mentor, right? And, uh, and I think sometimes you got to do things where you, you got to kind of push through and, and realize on the other end that, Hey man, that sucked, but it shaped me into a better person. Yeah. That's funny. Growing up, those child labor's law don't apply to this family. Oh, dude. <laughs> but you definitely didn't, man. I don't know. There's was, was a lot of cash going back and forth. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so man, in, when, when, when you were in high school, Outside of your coaches, because here's, you know, with, with a coach, it's a very different kind of relationship because yep. you, there's more time and we can really focus on things that apply directly to life. But man, I truly believe that to be true in any class, whether it doesn't matter if it's biology or English or, you know, it, it doesn't matter where, where we can use the content of our classroom to teach the skills that a kid really needs to be successful. And thinking back, man, did, did you have like a, a teacher in a content area that, that still comes to mind in the work that they did with you in that class? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I had a lot of teachers that I, that I developed some really good relationships with, um, especially as I got into high school, um, that I think kind of understood what kind of student I was, that they knew I was a good kid and, um, you know, that I tried really hard. And, you know, what I found was, like you said, you know, these, these specific teachers for me were were people that I didn't want to let down. I found that that was kind of the common denominator in all of them. They, it was it was somebody that, hey, I might not have excelled at a certain subject, right? If I was taking an accounting class, um, you know, and I think back to one of my accounting classes, my my, my junior year in high school, and that was not my that was not my class. Uh, but I remember trying really hard in this class and and trying to do well because I didn't want to let them down. Uh, and I knew that they actually cared about me not only as a student but as a person. Um, they didn't want to give me the bad grade, right? You know, they, they wanted to see me excel, but they also wanted to see me learn the lessons of, hey, you know, you're not so great at this, but what do we got to do to get from point A to point B? What do we got to fill that in with? How does Mike Aroni tick, you know, compared to the guy next to him in class or the girl next to him in class? Uh, and I think the, the best teachers were able to do that for me. Yeah. 
Man, you know what? It, it, here's it is. You know, it's always it's so obvious when kids, especially the secondary level kids, walk in, and you can tell immediately that this teacher really, really cares about chemistry, rather than this teacher really, really cares about yeah. his kids, his family in this classroom, that family they create for those kids in that room. And it applies to everything. Man, I just bought a car. Well, I shouldn't say it. My wife just bought a car. We went there, and um, I, I guess the sales guy likes cars. I don't know, but he sure loved us, and he loved his customers, you know, and, yeah. and the, the, how hard he worked for us and relationship he built. You know, we found out about his mom. We're going to his mom's restaurant tomorrow night for dinner. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's all from buying a car. Isn't that unbelievable what passion does, right, how, how it kind of changes perspective on, on, on everything? You know, the, the, the teachers that were – you know, the best teachers are the ones that were most passionate. Um, I think specifically to to college, uh, I had uh, one of my professors, Lori Weinstein. Shout out to Lori Weinstein. Uh, he was my marketing professor. And this was this dude was, uh, he was a big wig at Procter & Gamble for a while. And um, he was touted as, you know, if you were in his class, and I got put in his class, not by accident, but just by chance, but didn't, didn't put in to have him. I just got him. And everyone's like, oh, man, you got Lori Weinstein. This, this dude's really tough. He's passionate. He's such a good dude, but it's probably the hardest class you're going to take. You, you might want to take a different class if you want to, if you want to try to get that B, try to get that A. And I remember thinking, I'm like, whatever, man, I'm like, at this point, I'm just going to take it. This guy was so passionate. Uh, I remember being in his class and being so intrigued, uh, but marketing was the thing that I loved. It was, it was, it was creativity. Uh, and that was something that he noticed in me. And I went through this and this was the first A plus I ever got in my life. And I'm talking, take gym class aside. First A plus I ever got in my life. I took him two more times after that. And I got A pluses in each each preceding time that I took this guy because he was so passionate about it. I respected him. I didn't want to let him down, but he was also ac actually able to figure out, hey, this is how this dude learns. You know, I see something in him, um, you know, that, that he's creative or he has a passion for this or he has a skill set uh, in this area. Uh, and I think that's kind of how it fell into marketing and entrepreneurship. I think they kind of go hand in hand. Um, and I did really well in the class. And, and I and I, and I I keep in touch. Um, well, I haven't actually recently, but I used to keep in touch with them pretty often afterward to, to kind of gain advice, gain insight. And it was throughout college, it was, it was kind of like a mentor kind of relationship. Yeah. You know, I, here's the thing about, you know, our especially content specific teachers where you're right, man, like a kid might not be passionate about geometry and that is fine. But still what I really want is teachers to be so passionate that that kid thinks, listen, I want to feel the same way about my thing that she feels about geometry. Like I want that in my life. Yeah, man. You want the teacher that's like, you know, you want that teacher that every kid's screaming that they want to have. And you know, everybody knows that teacher. It's like that science teacher who's super quirky, but you go in the class and it's just an absolute blast and they do something so different and so outside the box um, that it just, you know, that that's the thing that you need. Maybe, maybe that's why, you know, it, it helps, it helps students to maybe learn a different way, but I think they get a lot more out of it. Yeah. I know I, I know I did in certain instances like that. Yeah, man. When, when you went to college and, um, I mean, this is before you had the cap idea. It, yeah. what, what what were you thinking, man? Like, what, like what? Because I mean, you're there to wrestle, and you're going to take some classes. And thank goodness we're going to help with tuition because your dad's a teacher. And uh, and and like, were, were you thinking about a profession at this point? Yeah, I knew I knew that I needed a college education to if I wanted to go out there and work. Right. So I think the mentality that I had at that point was, 
I knew I wanted to do something on my own, right? I, I knew I wanted to start my own thing at some point, some way, some form. Um, but in my mind, I needed college to get there. Um, and my mind was always on sales. So I got in sales immediately out of college. Um, uh, but that was my mindset when I was in college. I was, I was like, hey, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get a job in sales. And, uh, and I can create my own, you know, I can create my own limit. Sky's the limit. That's, that's, that's a bar I need. Um, and I can kind of be on my own, doing my own thing and immediately got into sales out of college. And, um, that's right. And, and that's really where I learned about business as a whole and, and, uh, and how that kind of benefited went hand in hand with entrepreneurship as well. What were you selling? So I started working for, uh, WB Mason, uh, which is an office supply company. Uh, they're based out of Boston and uh, I worked for them for three years. Uh, and then I got a job working medical devices uh, with the company Stryker. Yeah. Um, and I'm still with Stryker for 10 years. And I, uh, I, I absolutely, uh, I love it yeah, because I love sales. I love people. I love my customers. Uh, and it's something where it's been able to benefit what I do, right? Uh, I've learned uh, as much about business from Stryker as I've learned about business from Boston Scally. They've kind of benefited each other. Uh, and I've always made it to point to, I make sure they don't interfere, but I take the positive of both. Uh, and it helps me complement both, you know, um, being able to look at my sales business from a, from a P and L perspective, right. That I'm looking at Boston Scally stuff on right. but being able to take my sales relationships and customer oriented, um, uh, the customer oriented aspect of it and bring it over to Boston Scally. I think it's, they kind of complement each other. So dude, you're still working at Stryker. Dude, I am burning the midnight oil. I, I, I just love it all. I like to take on as much as I can. I got two kids. I have one that's only six months old. I got a two and a half month old. I like to be, I like to have as much going on as humanly possible. Yeah. I, I leave, I leave no time to anything. Uh, that's what fuels me. I can't have dead time. Um, I need to be going a hundred miles an hour at all aspects of the day. All right. So how are you running the Boston Scally company? So you, so you have, um, like a team coming in or do you have, you got like a fulfillment center or uh, what is going on, man? Yeah, man. Uh, great question. So, um, I have, uh, I got a, uh, I have a great partner, uh, in this business. So I have, uh, my wife works for, uh, used to work for Nestle. She worked for Nestle for about uh, nine years uh, under the Nespresso umbrella, and she did all their international and domestic marketing. So everything from taking new product concept to launch. So I was able to get her cheap, and uh, and I brought her into Boston Scally a few years back. And since bringing her in, it's been able to create that bandwidth to help us set the stage to explode. But as far as uh, warehousing, we have a warehouse that picks pack ships, um, so that's taken care of. So We've been able to build and delegate as much as humanly possible um, so that I can be the creative forefront of this and design the hats and do the social media and make cool videos and uh, make sure that I'm focusing on uh, the customers and what they want and what they want to see. So for the future of the brand, but uh, yeah. yeah, my, uh, my wife's the, the, uh, the backbone of the business. I got her, I got her working overtime also. Yeah, man, that's what we do at our family here. So my wife handles all the contracts. She handles the booking. She books gigs yep. and events around the nation and puts the conferences together that we host. And then my job is just to get on stage and, you know, wreck the mic. But you know what I also love? And people always tell me I got to get away. Yeah, I quit doing those videos and quit put. Dude, I love it. Like, like that creative side of it. I love yeah. that part of the deal, man. 
that's the best thing and you need content content and frequency man that's that's what's going to keep you relevant and you know what's going to supersede everything today is is brand and community and culture um you know anybody can put a product out there anybody can put a good product out there anyone can put a shitty product out there but if you don't have a a brand and a community and a culture behind it or a story Mm -hmm. behind it I mean, I don't think it's going to last long. I mean, I know I've only been doing this with Boston's Galley five years. So, uh, you know, my goal is to have this going 55, 60 years forever, right? Yeah. And um, that's why I always bring it back to the family, the loyalty. And, you know, when people ask me about the company, like, you know, your question, it's like, yeah, man, I got I got family helping me out. I got my wife helping me out. And, you know, my, t- my two boys one day are going to hopefully help out if, if they want to. But at least I can teach them some of the lessons from this and they can learn from this to go on and, you know, do, do their own things. But, um, we try to keep family involved as, as much as humanly possible, kind of helping us out. Yeah, man. I read a book years ago, um, right when the kind of the beginning of the ad, the advent of social media and this dude named, I want to say his name was David Meerman Scott. And the book was, and it was all based on the concept that there are, there are way more than enough people than you need looking for you. They just can't find you. And like that was that was true for me where I didn't I, I was I, I was looking for the hat I, I didn't I didn't I didn't know you I didn't know where the hat was but I knew yeah. it was out there I just couldn't find it for two years until your ad started popping up on my Facebook because I bought in a hat and by the way I don't know who's doing your pixel on your uh, Facebook marketing man <laughs> following you everywhere Lord dude that is one powerful <laughs> pixel <laughs> oh they love that man I uh, I'll make sure that my uh, we got a small agency. Uh, doing some of our uh, back-end marketing now. Uh, I did all of it myself for a while so I could learn about it because I want to make sure I know about everything that I'm doing. Yeah. So anytime I pass anything off or uh, source anything to a freelancer or bring somebody on board, I want to make sure that I'm educated in it too, but uh, our marketing team is kicking some butt. Yeah. Um, Everywhere I go. Doing, yeah, man. I'm gonna. You got to make sure you send me this snippet. I'm going to send it over to my buddy Will at Unstoppable. He's going to love it. I will, man. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, also, hey, check this out. So, um... Like, I'm just curious, what kind of growth have you seen from 20, I think you said 2011, 2012? When, when did you start this thing? Yeah, 2012. Um, so we've grown 100% a year um, since then. So we're shipping out anywhere from 10,000 to 12,000 caps a month now. Um, and it was crazy because when we first when we first started this, yeah. um, I'll never forget, we only had two caps, yeah. uh, a few, few different sizes, a couple, couple T-shirts, and I'm like, that's it, man. Let's do it. Let's let's throw the site out there and let's get it going. I don't care. Two hats, two hundred hats. You don't need to wait until you got a full, you know, a full lineup. Let's go. Right. So we we went rocking and rolling and put a couple Facebook ads out. All of a sudden, it was like one sale, two sales. All of a sudden, the second month, I was like, you know, at the time, my apartment at that time was stacked to the ceiling with boxes that I was shipping out, and I was yeah. like, I need a fulfillment center already. So, uh, within the first couple of months we were profitable and I was like, wow, this is, this is a real thing. Yeah. And, uh, and then we went all in, man. And, uh, and we, and we kind of pushed it and went crazy with it. But, uh, you know, like you said, you make such a good point. It's so what's it? 7 billion people in the world now, something like that. Right. It's everybody's got a head on their shoulders. That's what I say. Everyone's like, you know, when people like, well, scally caps, it's a kind of an, kind of a niche market i'm like yeah it sure is i'm like but there's also seven billion people out there yeah, and i'm pretty sure all of them have a head on yeah. their shoulders right and all those dudes i mean people are marketing your stuff even though it's not your hat like brad pitt everywhere he goes you know i mean all there's a lot of dudes out there marketing your stuff for free man it's amazing yeah and we've uh we've gotten some uh we've gotten some some pretty cool clientele rocking the gear which has been fun and 
Uh, we're working on some stuff right now with uh, Stephen Forelli. Stephen Forelli is uh, Seamus from the WWE. Yeah, uh, we're doing some cool stuff with him right now. And uh, you know, we've had Donnie Wahlberg wearing our stuff, and uh, we had Gronk wearing some of our stuff, which is really cool. And um, you know, so a lot of these guys found it on their own. Uh, you know, we didn't even reach out to them; they they found it on their own, and all of a sudden, someone sent us a pick, and I'm like, oh, it's it's pretty cool. So you know, yeah. I'm thinking some of the ads either found them or found their manager or something. Yeah, and and plus, there's just so many people in that in that culture and that attitude, and just you know, even like even in the comic scene, like well, the Burr and Rogan and all those guys, you yeah. know, like Rogan, that's a perfect like that's his hat, man. Like he need like that that's who he his head belongs in that hat. Yeah, man, and uh, Rogan lived in uh, lived in Mass for a while. He went uh, yeah. he, he went to high school a town over for me. Uh, I grew up in Waltham. Uh, Joe Rogan went to high school at uh, Newton Self in mm-hmm. uh, Newton, Newton, Massachusetts. But pretty sure he, I think he was born in Jersey, though. He's originally a Jersey boy, and then kind of moved around a bit, and then found himself in uh, outside of Boston for a bit. That's where he started stand up. And um, yeah, dude, he's like the he's like the Oprah of today for young men. Yeah, man, he's awesome. Such a down-to-earth dude and great content, well-spoken, funny as hell. I mean, he's got it all, man. He's uh, he's done a great job at that, and uh, I love listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. Man, it's just a powerful place where um, you know people can learn. Man, just go and freaking do what you love. And then there's a way to make money at that. There's a way to make a career, you know, whether it's, you know, and he has such, you know, in like, if someone told him to take any one of the things that he does and say, you're going to make, you know, be successful professionally. And everybody said, would no, but he does with everything. It's all such niche, whether it's archery or comedy or, you know, commentating cage fighting. There's such niche things, but because he's so passionate about it, he's yeah. going to figure out took a way. The words, yeah. Took the words out of my mouth, man. And it goes back to like, you were talking about, you know, teachers, right? You, you find the teacher that's the most, most passionate and, and, and those are the ones that are doing the best, right? Those are the ones that seem to be successful in, in helping students excel. And, you know, I think it's the same thing in life too. You find something that you're, you're passionate about. Eventually people are going to find you or you're going to be able to make money doing it. And, uh, you know, I know it sounds cliche and, and I, and I think this all got put into perspective when I had kids was that, you know, it's not, it's not always about the money, right? Like what kind of legacy are you going to live? What kind of, what kind of, what are you going to leave behind? What are people going to think about you when you're gone? Uh, and that's important to me, right? It's how much money you make. People don't care how much money you make. Uh, they, they don't, uh, for me, it's like, do people enjoy being around you? Do they want to hang out with you? Do they want to have a beer with you? Right. And I always, uh, when I started this brand, um, you know, so on the inside of the caps, right. This, this guy right there, that's, that's me. Right. So, but I always tell the story of the guy on the inside of the cap. And, and one of the things I say is, um, I'm like, that's a guy you want to have a beer with. Right. I always wanted to say like the people I want wearing this hat is somebody you could see at a bar, sit down, have a beer with, tell some stories, have a laugh and, uh, you know, and enjoy their company. And I think that's, that's kind of built into the fabric of, of what we do. And I think that if you can do that and, and make a living out of it, that's, that's as successful as anything. All about the happiness. You know what, man? The thing about your um, business, and this is what I try to tell people all the time, you know, whether whether it's people that want to speak or teachers that want to do what I do, or what well, your kids are wanting to launch something, it's like, you know what, I, like when people ask me, like, well, how do I get in and do what you do? And I tell them the same thing. Go book a gig. 
Yeah, that's, just do it. Go book a gig. Well, I don't have any content. Let me. T- t- well, go book a gig for two months from now. Let me tell you, you're gonna you're gonna create some content where you got something on the calendar you're about to speak at, and it's the same thing where you got two hats. Hey, man, let's launch a site. Let's get some ads out there. You don't have any hats. We'll we'll we'll, we'll get some hats. Don't worry. Yeah. Like, go make it happen. Like, just get that thing going and then figure it out. That's it, man. Once you put yourself out there, and and it goes back to you know, fail hard, fail fast, whatever it is. Learn from it and move on and. Make the corrections, right? That's the most important thing. Don't don't fail and do the same thing twice, right? Fail, fix it, move on. And it's, you know, I like to do things quick. And sometimes my wife gets irritated with me because I want to do things 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, listen, I would rather do it 100 miles an hour, screw up, figure it out, and move on and still be done first uh, than, you know, to kind of sit back and watch on the side and do the what ifs and and, and, and overanalyze things. I don't like to overanalyze. Uh, just, just, just go do it. Yeah powerful hey man let me ask you a question what's next i mean you got you're shipping out freaking ten thousand hats a month is ridiculous and um you got your stuff on noggins everywhere what so are you gonna um increase um the product line or just just focus on the same thing are you doing some more um shirts or tell me what you're doing so i gotta keep innovating man and that's and that's the that's the fun part i love i love doing this part so we're innovating more videos more promotions but um you know, the heart and soul of the brand is always going to be the hats, right? Yep. Uh, we are going to expand on the apparel side. Uh, we've been wanting to do it for a couple of years, but so many new ideas come out with the hats, and the, the hats keep making traction. Um, so, And we need to make sure that we're always coming out with new caps, new gear, keeping everybody uh, intrigued as we continue to move along. Um, so we're going to just continue to come out with hats. We're going to expand the apparel line. We'd love to be able to get into some outerwear. Um, so that way we can have kind of a full lineup. Uh, one of the things that we do, though, is, and I'd like to say that this is different, is we ask for genuine feedback from customers, people like yourself. You're wearing these caps, and we actually put it into motion. What do you want to see out there? Um, you know, we don't just design these things and, and and put them out. A lot of times, we'll design them. We'll show our customers the prototypes and go, do you like these? And through social media now, you're able to do that. You're yeah. able to say, hey, do you like the brown or do you like the black one? And you'll have instant feedback and 10 hours later, you have a thousand people that told you, yeah. And, you know, you have four people that told you no or whatever it is. And you're able to make a decision based on that. And that's why we say when we tell people, and I know this sounds cheesy and kind of cliche, but I tell my customers all the time, I'm like, you guys are the brand. And that's actually a fact because they're designing the caps. You know, I'm putting the concept together, but I need their feedback. If they don't like it, guess what? It's not going out. If they like it. We're going to rock and roll with it. We'll build a campaign around it. We'll, we'll do a cool video on it and, and we'll, uh, we'll let it rock and roll, you know, man, here's the thing man. it's, um, right now because it's so, it's so interesting because it's, um, just no one's doing it. What I, I like, right. Like if your product sucks, right now it's because you suck it's because you didn't ask enough questions or show it to another there's no reason for anything to suck because we have so much opportunity and availability to get feedback it's crazy but still what people are doing are trying to hide the product hide the prototype and like surprise everybody i don't i don't want to surprise people with something that sucks man i want to surprise people with giving them exactly what they asked for that's the surprise no and i think what we try to do with the surprise element is you know, we'll tease things a little bit, but we try to surprise them with the content. We do some cool content that people enjoy watching. Uh, you know, I want people to feel like, hey, even if I'm not buying a hat, they can come watch some cool videos or see some cool content or whatever it is. And and like you said, with 
you know, with Facebook, with Instagram, with, uh, with, with all these other platforms, TikTok and video uh, platforms, you know, you can find your demographic. There's, there's no excuse now. There's analytics out there that can help you find exactly who you're trying to target and who you're not. And sometimes there's some, there's some crossover and that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, it, it comes down to just putting it out there and, and you, you'll find people that are interested. It doesn't matter what it is. You'll find it and build a brand around it. But it's got to be genuine. That's the biggest thing. It's got to yeah. be genuine. Well, those videos definitely work. I mean, I, I went I, I went and uh, had a beer as soon as I saw you with your brothers having beers. Wearing hats. <laughs> it's like, damn, I got to get out of the petrol station and have a beer. Look, at where's my hat? And here's the other thing about marketing nowadays is um, what I remember like 20 years ago, the whole goal was how can I get my stuff in front of as many people as possible? Because back then you had to get giant volumes of people and eyeballs because there's going to be as tiny percent actually would buy your stuff. Yeah. Now it's like we have the technology available and the analytics available where we can specify exactly which eyeballs are looking at your stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, and, uh, go ahead. Yeah. I think, you know, I think I think back in the day it was, and, and we do a little bit of this now. We don't do as much of it, um, but you know we get out there and do festivals and we do pop ups, and it's like you got to get out there and get in front of the customer. Where you know, um, you know, and we actually do want to get back to doing more of it. I think uh, from a bandwidth perspective, just the site has gotten so busy, direct to the consumer on the website that we haven't done as many pop ups and festivals. But we do it merely because I'm like I want to get in front of the customers, and we. And we go and we bring some cold beers and we hang out with customers because that to me is probably one of the most important things. We do festivals that we go to every year and I don't even go to say, oh, we're going to go there and make sales. Like I go there because I'm like, I can't wait to go to go see my customers and I want to do more stuff like that. I want to do events. I want to do, you know, uh, food truck festivals, speaking events or, you know, have a music festival based around Boston Scally and be able to bring a community together um, and, and other brands or other or other businesses just to be able to, to have that aspect of it. I mean, even that pop-up thing like that, I know people, it feels like it's local and small, but that's huge. That's a national yeah. campaign because when you see it, like, I feel like I'm a part of that. Like I'm not there at the festival, but I see the booth. I see the people and a guy in the background has a giant pretzel, you know, another guy has a beer and they get the cap on. Like I, and I'm in Houston of all places and it's 40 degrees hotter and a zillion miles away, but I feel like I'm a part of that scene that's happening there. That's awesome. I love hearing that. See that like that is that's huge. And that's exactly what what we're trying to do. And it's crazy. We were at um, we do a festival every year. It's probably the biggest one that we do. You know, we do some Irish festivals in Dorchester and all that. But uh, we do uh, one called the St. Anthony's Feast. And it's in the north end of Boston. And it's it's a very tight knit community and right in right in Boston. Um, and it's and it's very um you know, it's a very old festival. It's a hundred years old. This year was the the, the centennial year. Is it and we thing? Yeah, it is, but they don't, you know, they don't push it like crazy like yeah. that. Like when you're there, it's not overly religious. It's 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 more of like a traditional thing for, for Boston. I mean, you go there and I think it's between three, two and three hundred thousand people pass through this thing over the course of three and a half days. And most of the time, our first few years, you know, the people we would talk to that actually knew our brand or had seen us on Facebook or Instagram or just around town, whatever it was. Uh, now, you know, we were there and there was people from California, from Arizona, and they're like, we know you guys. And there was a guy that came up to our booth from Arizona and he was wearing a Boston Scally cap. And he goes, I just happened to be passing through this weekend. Didn't know you guys were here. He's like, I love you guys. And he had our hat and he was yeah. all the way from Arizona. I'm like, man, I'm like, that is, that is awesome. I was like, that was one of the coolest stories for me. I'm like, I, I, it's still kind of surreal to see that, you know? Yep. 
I love it, man. When I was growing up, I um, man, I want to be Catholic so bad. Because they had these festivals, I mean, the dads were over there drinking beer, and I was like, and they're loud, and I was like, man, why can't we be Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> and all those kids at school, they, they they went through puberty faster, and then they had those, uh, like that Italian horn thing, whatever that thing <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Man, I got to get one of those. I don't even know what that is. And uh, I remember that. Hey, listen, man, let me ask you a last question. Is sure. um, you, got your, you got your life happening. You got kids. You got this amazing wife that you recruited from Nestle. You're selling thousands of caps and you're selling medical devices. How in, how in the hell are you still training? Like, how do you get in the gym? Because it's clear that you're still getting there. I get up at 5 a.m. every day. Um, I, I do not miss a day. I am I am. I am OCD with my train and that's a big part of my life. So for me, and again, man, this is going to sound cliche and cheesy and like a meathead, such a meathead thing, but it's, uh, for me, the, the gym is my meditation, man. I, I have to be in the gym. I have to, I have to work out. I think it helps me to function for me. It's where I can actually shut my brain off. If that sounds, you know, if that doesn't sound crazy, I can shut my brain off for a bit and focus on something outside of work. Um, and, you know, uh, changing diapers and things like that. And I can just, you know, I can go in there and hammer the iron and, and, and work out and kind of gas myself out for an hour or so. And, uh, you know, it makes me feel like a human, that's for sure. So I make sure that I don't uh, miss my workouts. But, yeah, 5 a.m., man, it's uh, – I feel like, listen, there's – you know, everybody's got an hour no matter where it is, right? Yeah. It's, hey, even if, if you got to train at 3 a.m. to find that hour or if you got to train at 9 at night, I look at it like there's no excuse. If you, if you want to work out, you should be able to get in there. It's one hour. You can find the hour, you know? Yeah, man. There's uh, My kids go to a high school. They go to the uh, same high school that Beyonce went to. And okay. It, and on, this, on the front of the high school, for what has a marquee. And, and one, I drove up one day and it said, you have just as many hours in the uh, You have just as many hours in the day as Beyonce does. Get to work. Yeah. And I started thinking about that. And then, like, in terms of training, you know what I think about is The Rock. Like, that dude is up at 3 in the morning. That's it. He finds it. Yeah, hundred like, percent, man. He'll he'll work out at all times of the night. I think it was, I was I follow the Rock on Instagram. I love that dude. And uh, you know, it's uh, I think he was on his honeymoon or something. He brought his family on his honeymoon, and he was training in the middle of the night. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this dude's not going to miss a day. He's got nah. too much on the line to miss a miss a day working out. And it's like, it's one hour. You can find it no matter what. You could be the Rock. You could have a million things going on in a million different directions. You know, and he finds the time to to get in there and get it done. It's important because um, seriously, dude. I know you like you don't talk about it in the ad or on the site or anywhere, but just in the pictures. I mean, because you're wearing the Boston Scally top or whatever, it, like, it's clear like, like this is part of the brand. You know what I mean? So well, I, you, you can see it. Like you can't you can't afford to miss a day. It'll mess up the logo if I look at my hat and see you, and then I look online and see your yeah, beer I'll belly. Make a new, I'll have to make a new one. Yeah. So uh, interesting tidbit. I used to have. Um, you might be able to find some old pictures if you Google long enough, but I used to have a fitness website and, uh, I had been published in, in coincidentally enough, uh, in muscle and fitness and on the cover for the, the, the one time I got published in muscle and fitness was, uh, the rock and Mark Wahlberg were on there for pain and gain. Uh, and I'll, I'll send you a, I'll email you over the snippet of the article that I put in there, but I wrote for a bunch of different blogs for a while and I love fitness and that was, it was a big part of my life. And, I had a blog on the side just to keep that kind of interest going, but uh, yeah, small interesting tidbit. I uh, 
I was published in Muscle and Fitness. <laughs> no, dude, like I keep my thing secret too. I mean, I mean, people Google, they'll they'll find it, but I don't. I never talk about it. But I, you know, when I got to be forty five, I'm fifty two now, and uh, in my late forties, I decided to do a contest, and I've been competing in men's yeah. physique. And, um, but I like go to nationals and all that in Pittsburgh for, and I do master's division. I can't compete with the 25 year old kid, but you know, um, it's like a huge part because of, for me, man, what it is, is I love, okay, here's, here's what it sounds ridiculous, but here's what I love. I love doing stuff that other people can't do. Like I, if, 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 if it's really, really difficult and a small percentage, like somebody said, man, you should do a marathon. Hell no. There's thousands of people that do those. I want to do some shit that hardly anybody can stick to. And the discipline is ridiculous. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And I think, I think no matter what it is, I think everybody should find one thing that challenges the hell out of you, man. Uh, you know, whether it's bodybuilding, working out, whether it's starting a company or whether it's, you know, something new, find something that challenges you, find something that makes you uncomfortable and, uh, you know, and try to excel at it. Right. And not necessarily saying do things that you stink at. Right. You know, I'm a big advocate of, you know, be the best, be the best at the things you're best at, but, you know, find something that you're uncomfortable doing and go do it, man. Go face a fear and go, go kill it. That's what it's about, man. It's about, you know, I, this is the thing about kids today is, um, is that the seeking of comfort is so easy because all the opportunity and availability they have for that rather than, you know, if, if you seek out comfort, that that's what leads ultimately to discomfort. But if you seek out the discomfort right now, that is what ultimately leads to comfort. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree with you more. I love that. Hey man, thank you so much for today, dude. I love what you got going on, and just um, I'm just so proud of uh, who you've become and all the influences you had in your life, in your house, with your meathead brothers and friends, and your um, <laughs> amazing teachers you've had, and your fam, and that whole community up there, and to see um, how all that came together in these products that you're putting out there, and the way you're doing it is just freaking awesome. Thank you, man. And, and, and hey, thank you for doing what you do too, man. Inspiring youth and teachers all around the country. Such an education is such, such an important aspect. Um, you know, and, and you guys are the influencers out there and the mentors that, you know, are going to, are going to help kids be able to believe in what they're doing. And, you know, I think now more than ever is a time where kids in school, it's, it's not being, it's not easy being a kid in school right now. I think it's a lot more difficult even from than when I was a kid in school. And I think right now uh, is a time where, where teachers and educators are more influential than 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 athletes and, and superstars that are out there. I really do. Yeah. All right, brother. I appreciate you having me. Have appreciate you, man. Have an amazing, amazing rest of your day and uh, weekend fam time. Go kill it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Man.